Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to feeling at home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole, and this whole episode is me geeking out for a solid 35 minutes straight. So brace yourselves, buckle those seatbelts, it's going to be a very enthusiastic ride. This episode is actually with a returning guest. You might remember Katie from an episode a couple of weeks back called Intercultural Relationships. Katie is an American who's married to an Austrian, and over their relationship they lived in both countries while they worked on establishing careers where they could be more location flexible. We mentioned this in passing during the Intercultural Relationships episode, but when I found out what Katie's job was, I was like, "Mm, girl, you are not getting off that easy. I need to ask you a million questions because I think this is just the best and the coolest thing ever. Because her job is reading and then translating old German handwriting from different genealogical documents. Her job is just such a cool blend of different skills and Katie really knows her stuff. And I was very glad when she agreed to come on the show a second time so that I could ask her all about it. And I'm going to cut myself off now because otherwise I would just spend 10 minutes rambling in the introduction about how cool I think this is. But I I, I guess I've made that point, haven't I? I guess I've made that clear. Anyway, it's super cool. I'm really jazzed about it. And I hope you agree. I hope you also find it cool. (laughs) So here it is. I will hand it over to Katie. Hi everyone, I'm Katie Schoper and I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Currently I'm in Bend, Oregon because with my job I can work from anywhere. So we're spending the month in Oregon. My job is a genealogy translator. So I translate from German to English old letters, diaries, church records, vital records, newspapers, anything historical to help people either find their ancestors or translate documents that have been passed down in their families for generations. And I think this is just about the coolest job I've ever heard of. (laughs) (laughs) So um, attentive listeners might recognize your name or voice from our episode about intercultural relationships, but I had to have Katie back to tell us about her work because there are so many people with German ancestry in America. And I think Americans are especially keen on on ancestry. And so I've definitely come across people doing projects in this sort of field, even people who have emailed me now that I'm living in Germany, if I can help them find the right place to email or what have you. So anyway, I am so glad that you're here to talk to us about genealogy translations. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here too. Do you want to tell us how you started to work in this field? Yeah, I kind of fell into it, to be honest. So I got my master's in German, and I knew I wanted to do something with language. Um, I had taught English in Austria before, um, before I started this career, which I enjoyed. But I really wanted to do something where I was using the German language myself. And so I started working after living in Austria in 2014. We moved to Boston, my husband and I. And I started working at a small translation company there as a project manager. And that meant that I was finding translators for companies to translate their documents. And I was so jealous of the translators I was assigning (laughs) projects to. I I wanted to be the one translating the documents. So, you know, they say, notice the things that you're jealous of, and that's where you'll find your passion. And that was definitely true for me. I lasted about seven months at the company, and then I 
I just knew I had to go do something myself with the language. So I decided to start my own business. And in the beginning, I wasn't really clear what kind of translations I wanted to do. I honestly thought it would be better to just advertise myself as being able to translate everything. But in the field of translation, the number one rule is to actually find a specialization. And I was lucky enough that my specialization ended up finding me. I started getting requests when I started advertising my translation services for, you know, medical documents, legal documents, college applications. But then I got a couple requests for old letters, letters from World War II that someone had found in their attic. And I love history. So I just noticed how much more excited I was to translate these letters than all the other, all the other medical, legal contracts, things like that. The one thing that's the problem is that in Germany and Austria and any German speaking country before the 1950s, they wrote in a different type of handwriting. So it was the same German language, the same words with the exception of a few old fashioned words, of course, but the handwriting was completely different so that maybe one in a hundred people in Germany today could read this old type of handwriting. And so I really wanted to translate these fascinating old letters, but I couldn't actually read, (laughs) read the handwriting in which they were written. The German itself would have been no problem, but it was the handwriting. And so I taught myself to read it through some books, some videos. Uh, My Austrian husband's grandmother actually helped me a little bit at the beginning too, because She was old enough that she had learned to read it in school. Slowly but surely, I started getting more requests for these letters. And then I started advertising myself as more of a specialist for the old historical documents. And now it's been four years and I read the old handwriting and work with old documents every day. And when you do something every day, it becomes a lot easier. So now, you know, the old handwriting is a piece of cake. I'm like geeking out right now. This is the coolest (laughs) thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is just like right up my nerd alley. Um, Me wow. too, and that's why I love it. I mean, I've, I'm always reading historical fiction books, and I'm always <laughs> watching TV shows with, you know, set in the Middle Ages or the 1500s or 1700s, and it's just, I feel so lucky to have found something that combines my passion for history and language and to be to have been able to make a career out of it. This is definitely a sidebar, but do you then love the show Outlander? Oh my gosh, I was going to mention Outlander, but I didn't want to appear too, too geeky. Of, but I, I am obsessed with Outlander. Which is amazing. Okay, okay, okay. Oh yeah, I really love it. And I've actually, yeah, I'm trying to convert everyone I know to watch it because I read all the books and now I love the show as well. It's such catnip for anyone into, actually, really a lot of genres. I mean, okay, before I dive down this hole, I'll, I'll pull this back to the point. <laughs> but like, if you're listening and you don't know the show, go check out Outlander. It's on at least... German Netflix, and I assume also American Netflix, and many other Netflixes. So it's amazing. Check it out. Um, (laughs) One of the things I think is so cool that you just mentioned is that you actually could work with your husband's grandmother on this because it's such a huge change that happened pretty recently, but also not quite recently enough that enough people still have the skill. So I work in a library and we have some older local history texts that are in not handwritten but just the old german font and that alone is 
a huge step different from what today is sort of standard font. And that's also something that then like the older people can still read really easily. And I think some younger people, depending on, like you said, how much they've worked with it, but to then take it to the next level and go handwriting, how lucky and cool that you had someone who you were quite well connected to that could teach you it. And what a very specific skill. (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely a help. You know, when you're starting any new skill and you just don't really know the field and are trying to figure things out, it's so nice to be able to have someone to ask. And I also had another genealogy translator who I found online and she was so nice at the beginning whenever I had questions about you know, what is this old fashioned word that I can't find in any dictionary? Have you ever come across it? And what does it mean? Like, she was so nice about answering my emails and helping me at the beginning. And, and now it's really cool for me, because now, after four years, I've gotten to the point where I can help other people. So it's kind of fun to see like how at the beginning, I was going to everyone else for help. And now I'm at the point where I can help people who were in the same boat as me. So it's kind of been a fun process and a fun development the last few years. And I love that it, it sounds like a fairly friendly community and not such like a throwing your elbows out <laughs> climbing to the top kind of a, a vibe <laughs> no every, everyone's so helpful to each other and, and I think that really pays like really like rubs off on other people too like you know if when I was asking for help at the beginning if I would have been rejected or if people would have been rude to me then it would be a lot less motivating to want to help people now but you know it's like spread kindness everywhere and then you, you feel more you know mm-hmm. willing to be kind to yourself too so it's definitely been really a very welcoming community I take it you have to be pretty dang fluent in German <laughs> to do this and I Definitely, am, so yeah. I know when I was getting my paperwork in order for my stuff in Germany I had to get a lot of it translated, but from an official translator. So in Germany, at least, there's this certain, I don't know, organization or bureau that says these people are definitely good enough in both languages that they are official translators. Is that true in the U.S. or slash in your field as well? So there's the ATA, that's the American Translators Association, and you can get certified through them. I considered doing that, but I, through all the research I did, I kind of, in my specific field, it didn't seem like it was necessary. Um, Of course, perhaps if you're doing medical or legal or different fields, that might be more beneficial for translators to do. But in the genealogy field, it didn't seem like a specific requirement. Um, I'm sure it wouldn't hurt to be able to put certified translator after my name, but I've had 99.9%. I think I've only had one client who um, wasn't happy at the beginning. But since then, I've had all very, very happy clients and great testimonials. And I think that's really spoken for itself. And that's really helped me to get credibility just because the job that didn't work out so well at the beginning was because uh, it was actually in Greek. The guy sent me a document (laughs) and thought it was German. And I had to write him back and say like, okay, there's a couple words who are in German, um, but this document is actually in Greek. And (laughs) he was not very happy. But other than that, (laughs) so with all German documents, I've had 100% success rate. (laughs) And and I don't think I can do much about the Greek because I don't speak Greek and never, never claim to. So like having those happy clients and having those testimonials has really helped me build up my business too. I've also written a book on the old German handwriting and I speak at conferences. So getting out there and getting to meet the people you're working with and just getting your name out there has also really helped kind of boost the business. Yeah, so I'd love to hear about some of your projects. Like what are some of your favorite ones that you've worked on? So my favorites are the diaries because you get, you know, the diaries from these people's great great grandmothers or grandfathers who have written a hundred of page diaries and it's so fun because you really get to feel like you're getting to know the person who's 
writing this diary through through the hundreds of pages. So I did one where a woman was living in Germany. I think it was 1910 or so, the early early 20th century. And her husband was stationed in Thailand. They had a young baby. He was under one years old. And she traveled with this baby from Germany on a ship all the way to Thailand. So past France and Portugal and through the Strait of Gibraltar, I believe, and then over around Africa and then the Arabian Peninsula. And they got to get off at different ports and go explore the places. And it was just fascinating to get to read that firsthand account of a ship travel from Germany all the way to Thailand. But the hard thing was she missed her husband so much throughout the diary. And she kept saying, oh, I can't wait for our reunion. I can't wait to see him. And so I was so excited for this reunion, you know, (laughs) hundreds of pages in. And the diary stopped right when she arrived in Thailand. So I never got to hear about the reunion. Did the person who gave you this project know what they had on your hands? They didn't know exactly what it was. They knew it was their either great-grandmother or grandmother's diary. They thought it could be something about like between her and her husband, but they didn't know it was the journey. So that's another thing I love. It's just people are so appreciative and they get so excited when you get to give them this glimpse into their ancestors' lives. And I get really into it. So it's fun for me to hear how excited my clients get when they receive the translations as well. Right. It must be so much fun where a diary is a pretty big project for a translation. And I don't know, maybe you're not in the mood that day and you're like, oh, I have to like start working on this. But then you start reading it and it's almost like a adventure novel, you know, and how cool to be the first person in a long time to really know what's happening there. And then that excitement to share it with your client has to be pretty energizing and inspiring. It, it really is. Yeah, it's just so fun because I get I get so excited about these things. And so to have someone else have the same passion and maybe even more because it's their actual family. It's just so rewarding. And I just, I like doing a job where I feel like I'm making a difference, you know, however small. I'm obviously not a doctor or anything like that, but it's nice to feel like I'm making somewhat of a difference in in people's lives. Yeah, and that makes me wonder too, like who are your clients generally? Most of them are just private people who are researching their genealogy. So most people, I would say 80% are probably retired. So it's definitely an older clientele just because that's the age group that has more time to be researching their family history. It's slowly starting to change. I think younger people are slowly starting to become more and more interested in it. But it's definitely an older group. So whenever I go to speak at conferences or have a booth at conferences, I'm definitely definitely one of the youngest. I'm 33. (laughs) So definitely definitely a different age group than the 70 and 80-year-old there. But it's really fun. I mean, these people are just great. They're so into it. Do you think that the rise in um, popularity of things like 23andMe is helping get younger people more interested in their history? Definitely. Yeah. One of my good friends in the field um, is a DNA expert. And she's definitely said that before that she's really seen like with the different DNA tests you can do that young people are becoming more and more interested. So I think that the popularity of these tests is definitely contributing to the popularity of genealogy in general. Hmm. It's just fascinating to me how with working with these documents, you can see how humanity has just really stayed the same over time. Another one of my favorite translations was from 1853, I believe. And it was a letter that a grandmother wrote to her nine-year-old grandson. And it was right around the time of my birthday where my own grandmother had written me a birthday note. And the parallels between this 1853 document and my 2018 letter from my grandma were just 
amazing. Like they both said such similar things about their love for us and their hopes for us. And they hope we had a good day. And we heard that your mother did this for you and that's great. And we hope that your future is good. And it was just, it was just so striking to me how these letters could be written over a hundred years apart, 150 years apart, but have the same sentiments from grandmothers to grandchildren. Wow. Oh, that's so cool. How far back does this handwriting go? The handwriting, I mean, it start, It changes throughout the centuries. Most people in their genealogy research can go back to the furthest I've done is 1533. Whoa. So yeah, So, but other people can go back further. I would say on average, what I work with is 17, 1800s. Like I said, the furthest back is 1533, and I do all the way up to World War II and after. But most people tend to kind of stop around 1700s or so. And that's the same exact thread of writing style? So yes, definitely. It's the same thread as like from the 1700s to the 1800s. It's one when you start to get into the late 19th century, early 20th century, it's kind of developed a little bit because that was a time in Germany where they started to call for a handwriting reform. So Germany was unified in 1871. And after the unification of all the different German states, they started wanting everyone to write, you know, exactly the same. So there was a kind of a subset, a subcategory of the German handwriting that developed late 19th, early 20th century. So that's a little different. And then if you go all the way back to the 15 and 1600s, then it gets a little complicated. It's similar, but it's so decorative. It's incredibly flourishy and loopy and just very fancy. So that's, that's definitely harder to read than the 17, 1800 stuff. And I would imagine that the language gets pretty different then too. I mean, I know at least with English, there's so many evolutions between then and now that it's right. People kind of learn a different language if they're doing research in that field. Is that true for, for German as well? Definitely. So I, like I said, I wrote a book on the topic. It's called uh, Tips and Tricks of Deciphering German Handwriting. And in that book, I have a chapter on words that are no longer able to be found in modern dictionaries. There's so many words, especially the further back you go, that people just don't know today, especially in there's church records. So the churches used to keep track of people's baptisms, marriages and deaths. And especially in those records, there's certain terminology and old fashioned words and even Latin words in the German that you would you wouldn't see today. So that's definitely taken some getting used to. But there's some great old fashioned dictionaries available online and in print that I've bought and made use of that help you kind of figure out what, what the heck these words mean. <laughs> And I would love to talk more about the genealogy part of this because I feel like this is just such a cool mixture of skills. Like on one hand, you've got the reading, the, the literal reading of the handwriting. And then on the other hand, you've got the, the language itself, that what the words are saying. And then comes into play the genealogy aspect of it. So how, how did you learn that part of things? That was definitely a challenge um, because like I said, I, I love language. I've always loved language, but I didn't really know anything about you know, how to research genealogy. I, I bought books. I'm a big reader. Um, so I, anytime I don't know something, I always turn to books. So there's definitely a number of great books available in the field. One is by James Feidler. I can't remember the exact name, but it's, I think it's maybe German Genealogy Guide. And that was one of the first books I got. And that really helped me kind of get an overview of, you know, how to do the research, where you can look, the different websites. 
I'm not a researcher, so I don't help people research their ancestors. I just do the translations of when I do find the documents. But you definitely can't help but learn different skills and tricks along the way. And I go to a lot of conferences, so I meet a lot of people there and everyone shares their information. So it's definitely a learning process. And, you know, I feel like I've learned a lot the last couple of years and I'm still learning a lot as time goes on. Have you ever turned in on yourself and your own family and learned about your history? Yeah, so I'm actually really lucky. Um, And this actually inspired my desire to start learning German, too. Um, In 1994, so I was about eight, um, my German cousin, so we have very, very distant family still over in Germany who, who didn't immigrate to America. And they actually published a book that's about 300 pages of our German family history. So they collected, they did, they researched this for decades, I believe. And my name's in there. My brother's names are in there. And all of our family is in there dating back to 1610. So they published this book in German and they gave each family a copy. So when I was little, this book was sitting on our coffee table. It was all in German. I couldn't read it, but, but I love to look at the pictures and try to, you know, try to see if I could understand anything. And once I started learning German, I started, you know, reading it. And it's been fascinating to kind of see the different stories they've included and the people and the pictures. So I'm trying to translate it for my family right now. But like I said, it's 300 pages long. And when I translate all day for other people, it's been hard to find the motivation to keep translating something, you know, just for fun. But that's my goal to eventually translate the book for my family. Oh, that's so cool. And amazing that someone took all the time and effort to do that research because that's huge yeah we are so lucky and it's, it's just an amazing book they have they have letters in there they have school report cards in there from the 1800s they have I think one of my ancestors the furthest back that we know of he was documented carrying the log for the Christmas feast to the count's castle oh. in the town that he lived in so like there's that actual documentation of him carrying the log so it's just amazing so cute. I don't know. I don't usually think of like historical things as being cute, but like that's just a very cute <laughs> image. <laughs> He's the yeah, it's fun. I mean, you get you get some really good stories. And I've also done a few letters from the Holocaust, which are those are definitely the challenging stories. So you get, you know, you get some really fun and exciting stories. And then you also get these heartbreaking stories as well. But even with those people are so excited to kind of find out what happened to their ancestors and to feel like their voices are being heard when they didn't think they would ever kind of get to know these people. Right. Yeah. And isn't that so the Holocaust and post-World War II, wasn't that sort of when the the handwriting and the font all changed? Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that part of things as well. Yeah, definitely. So rumor has it, it was actually Hitler that said that they should stop writing in this old script. And they say that because he wanted the people in the lands he was conquering to be able to communicate and read the writing, communicate with and read the writing of the German people. So he kind of almost tried to make the script seem like a bad thing and wanted people to start writing in the the normal script, which is the Latin script that we all use as Americans and I think a lot of the world. So it stopped being taught in schools in the early 1950s, some earlier, some later, depending on the region. But obviously, the people who were adults at that time continued to write in it as that's what they've learned. But children stopped learning it around that time. Are there any things that you've learned through your job that could be helpful to people who are like hobby 
genealogists or trying to look into their own family and not really quite at a point where they're going to pay for someone to really dive into things for them? Like, is there anything that you could share that might be helpful for that sort of audience? Sure, definitely. Um, The number one rule they say in genealogy is to always start with what you know and then go back from there. So a lot of people are always tempted to start with the most exciting ancestor and say, oh, my grandmother always said that uh, her dad came over from Germany in 1902, and so I'm going to start looking over in Germany in the early 1900s. But that's a rookie mistake that a lot of people make because there are a lot of people with the same name in Germany. There are a lot of towns with the same name. Um, You know, there might be more than one Neumarkt in Germany or Oberhofen or something like that. It's really important to start with yourself and then go to your parents and document that and then document their parents and really make sure you're documenting every single level up from you until you can get back to that immigrant ancestor and make sure then that you know the town and the state that he or she came from. Because like I said, you want to make sure you're looking at records in the right town and not, you know, a town with the same name in a completely different part of Germany. Within this field, do you end up partnering with like a genealogy researcher where like you take on the translation and then they take on the research? Um, I don't have like a set partnership, but I've definitely had researchers contact me who, you know, they, they found church records for their client and then they send the church records to me to be translated. So nothing, nothing that we do on a consistent basis, but I definitely have had researchers who have contacted me for their client. So I think I told you before we dove into this interview, I'm just so enthusiastic and interested in this this field, but I feel like I almost don't even know where to start with my questions. And obviously I've gotten pretty far, but I guess I want to pose the question to you. Is there anything like that you would like to slide in there or any questions that you think I should ask based on your knowledge of, of this work? Well, I could tell you today, for example, I worked on two different projects. Is uh, My first project was a project from 1655 in which um, the, I'm not actually sure who, but a church got in trouble for not keeping good records. So they were writing, it was 1655, and they were saying this church needs to keep better records, one, for all the members of the parish, and two, for all the future descendants who are reading these records. So if they want to find out who their ancestors were, they will have good records to look at. And I just thought that was so interesting and says something about the German organizational system that in 1655, they were thinking about people like us, maybe not this far into the future, but thinking about the future of people trying to find their ancestors. So I thought that was just, it's kind of goes to, uh, my point is that Germany and the German speaking lands do have very good records. And if you want to find them, they're definitely out there. Uh, the churches began keeping records in the 1500s. I think 1524 was for Protestant and 1563 for Catholic, I believe. Different regions will have slightly different dates, but as a general thing, that's about how far back you can go with church records. But the Thirty Years' War, which was in the 1600s, ended up being the reason that a lot of those records got destroyed. So a lot of people do get stuck right around the time of the Thirty Years' War. So that's just... A little tip about the timeline for people who want to research their ancestors through church records. That's about usually about how far back you can go. (laughs) That's like such a weird breaking the fourth wall moment in that in that record you're looking at where they're like, (laughs) 
they're looking right at you, Katie, and they're saying. That's what I, that's what I felt like. Well, and I do, I do, and so I do a lot of those, and then I also, you know, translate a lot of diaries, like I said, or letters. And I, when I, I like to keep a journal. And now, as I'm writing in my journal, I start to think to myself, Will somebody you know in 200 years start yes. reading my private thoughts and things like that? And I get a get a little self conscious and almost write as if somebody will be reading my thoughts. <laughs> Just in case, make sure. It yeah, you never know. <laughs> because do you think you know, like these people writing in Germany never thought that this woman in America would be reading their diary, you know, 150 years later? So I, I kind of like to think about that sometime. It's a little interesting. Are there any cases where even you as a German handwriting reading expert can't read the text because the person just had bad handwriting because I think that's what would happen with my journal if anyone tried to look <laughs> at it even now they'd be like I don't know what it says <laughs> um this is actually another tip if anyone is trying to read the handwriting there's definitely cases where it is harder than others 100% for sure but it's amazing how your brain starts to get used to it so if I'm ever transcribing the handwriting and I just can't read the first couple words I just keep going until I do see a word I can recognize and then I kind of mark off the words that I skipped and then I keep going from there and I find the further I go the more my brain has gotten used to this specific person's way of writing for example if I do recognize one word then I can say oh that's a g or oh that's the letter r and then I can go back and see that same scrawl or scribble and be like, okay, that was a G in this word. This must be a G in that word. So one, your brain starts to adjust to it. And two, you can recognize individual letters once you recognize certain words. So that's definitely, it's kind of fascinating how your brain just adapts as you go on. It's literal just background magic. Like it's reminding me of <laughs> when you're trying to learn a new language and you're told to just read books in it. And you're like, well, why should I? Because I don't know what it says. But literally, if you just keep going, at some point, your brain does this background magic and you start to pick things up, even if you don't consciously know it. I mean, it sounds like with what you're doing, you are much more conscious of it, but it's sort of analogous where it's like, yeah, you can just kind of train yourself to get there. You do. You can definitely. And it's just, it's really cool to like, once you keep going and you know, you're, you're frustrated and you're like, I can, how will I ever be able to read this? But after you spend a little bit of time with it, you then go back to the beginning and you think, how could I have not seen this before understood right. this before it's obviously this word then you just you, you kind of like reprimand yourself like well duh of course it's this because your brain has uh, learned it in the background like you said this is also a very scattered random thought but I feel like I only knew that handwriting experts in general was a thing because of crime shows and crime podcasts where they'll like call a <laughs> handwriting expert to be like it couldn't have been him because this handwriting expert says that this is a different handwriting um do you think you'll ever get called on in like an official court of law or something similar oh I hope not because I'm not a very brave person so I think I would be too scared <laughs> to, to do anything that seems like uh, somebody did something bad and I would have to hear about it I, I don't think I think my handwriting skills would probably be good for that but my my braveness level might not be good enough <laughs> but I have been um I don't know if you've heard of the show Finding Your Roots it's a, it's a show where they research celebrities' genealogy. Oh, so, is this on TLC? Um, it's on PBS, actually. PBS. Oh, I think maybe that is. I think I saw an episode of this with Zoe Deschanel where she found out that her ancestry was Quakers in Pennsylvania. And, oh, cool. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think so I, the they, did, they contacted me. So I've actually worked for them for on specific projects for about three seasons now. So sometimes they'll find 
German handwritten documents in their work for the celebrities they've said that they would research for. And so I've gotten to have my name on the credits for the PBS show Finding Your Roots. So that's been that's been very exciting for me. Whoa. Oh, and that's such a good recommendation, too, for anyone who is listening and interested in this type of stuff. That's a really cool show. Like, basically, it's what you just said. Yeah, they just take celebrities. And then I guess a team does some genealogy research. And the episode is you watch them on their journey from like sitting down with the, the researchers and saying, okay, like, this is what I know where I've heard about my family history and then they do the research and then they come back and present it to the person. And it's- yeah, it's uh, the, the host is Henry Louis Gates Jr. And he's just, I believe he's a historian. He's a professor at Harvard and he just presents the research in such a calm and interesting and deep way. And it's just really, it's, it's really interesting. Even when I uh, had my shows where I helped with when they were on TV, my family was nice enough and we all got together and watched them together. And, you know, my brothers aren't specifically interested in genealogy, but they really enjoyed watching the show because they just put it together in such an interesting and exciting way. Absolutely. And I think it has that element of a good procedural crime drama or something like this, like these these formulaic shows where you know at the end of the hour or half hour, you're going to have this satisfying ending. Like, I feel like it has that a little bit. I mean, I don't know if they always find something incredible about every single person, but the ones I saw, like, I definitely got this feeling of like, wow, like I'm just, you know, at the beginning, you're like, oh, how's this going to go? They don't seem to know a lot of information. Then by the end, you're like, wow, this whole elaborate world of things that really happened is now known yeah and it, it just they just, they just do such a good job with it and it just makes it so interesting and makes you excited about finding out what could be in your family too <laughs> i came across a book in a bookstore the other day about archaeology and it was called um it was in german but basically the title was like so did you guys just find more old dusty things again <laughs> and the book was great a, title yeah exactly it was a, about like a student who got to do a practicum like an internship with some archaeologists and was like oh so that was his like sassy little title but I feel like it's like the same thing like <laughs> with yeah genealogy, it is and it, like genealogy is like the kind of thing that you know some people are interested and some people aren't but once you start it yourself and once you find that one signature of your specific ancestor or once you see a news article about someone related to you and you found it you get hooked. I mean, you start to see like, whoa, my family really was, they were real people who did real things. And you just want to keep finding the next family member and the next family member. And there is a great Austrian site for church records called Matricula. And the first time that a client sent me some records to translate through that site, I started to wonder if my Austrian husband's ancestors were on there. And he likes history, but he's not, you know, super into it like I am. And we ended up, we were both working from home and we ended up spending three hours going through these church <laughs> records because we found one of his ancestors and then he wanted to find the next one. And we ended up tracing his family back to, I think, 1770 in about three hours. What? Yeah, they, well, it helps because they all lived on the exact same street where his grandparents still live today. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's addicting. And even if you think, you know, you're not really into history, I guarantee you as soon as you make that first find, you're going to want to keep going because there's something about knowing where you came from and knowing who your ancestors were that just fills the void or just makes us feel whole. And it's true for every human being, I think. Wow. What a what a perfect way to end this conversation and transition us into our ending segment, which is called Zack Zack Zack. 
It is a rapid fire question round where I'm gonna ask you three questions that you are going to answer without thinking them, overthinking them. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? Ready. Okay, first up, what was the last sporting event that you went to? I haven't been to a sporting event in a very long time. The last one I watched was the World's Gymnastics Championship in Stuttgart, Germany. What is your favorite day trip to do from St. Louis, where you're from? Cahokia Mounds is an old Native American reservation where um, they built mounds where they buried their chiefs. And it's really cool to go see, especially if you like history. And if you could magically gain the ability to speak or, I guess, read one language, what language would you choose? I would choose Italian. I speak Italian um, at about an upper and intermediate level, but it, I, I feel like I've gotten stuck at the level on that. So I would just love to get a magic ability to speak it fluently so I can then move on to the next language. <laughs> you just collect them, huh? <laughs> I try. I do my best. That's so cool. I'm always so impressed by that. oh cool well thank you so much for indulging me and coming on and letting me just like geek out about your job oh I love to talk about it too like (laughs) I said it's it's a really fun job for me so I like any opportunity to get to talk about it so thank you for having me if people do happen to have some old German handwriting letters or, or records lying around and want to contact you or if they just generally want to learn more about your work where can we send them you can find me at sktranslations.com. Like I said, I have a book about the old handwriting, tips and tricks of deciphering old German handwriting. And if you really want to learn the handwriting, I just developed a course online that's completely self-paced, do it yourself. And it's called Reading the Old German Handwriting Online Course Through Teachable. So other than that, it's SK Translations on Facebook, Twitter, the actual website, and then Catherine Schober on Instagram. So very cool. And I will link to all of that, plus a lot of the things that we talked about in the episode in the show notes so that all of our fellow nerds out there can also go down the (laughs) rabbit hole and become ancestry addicts. (laughs) And go watch Outlander. And go watch Outlander. Oh my God, I'm I'm honestly probably about to go do that now. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on to the Expat Cast. Thank you for having me. Thank you one more time to Katie for coming on to the show, not just once, but twice. I've linked to her website and some resources that she's put together in the show notes. So if you are interested in getting in touch with her, if you have any old German documents that you can use translated, she is certainly the lady for it. Otherwise, I think all of you listeners will be very busy this winter binge watching Outlander and find your roots. As always, I want to take a minute right now and beg you to leave me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I actually just got an email where they put together all of my new reviews in 2019 and it was so cool to read it and here's to hoping we get many many more reviews in 2020. Why not kick it off with a good start by writing one of your own right now. Please, please, please. Thanks. Thanks as always also to Amy Lungi Art for the logo and to Sidehug for the theme music. They're on Instagram at a hug from the side. We'll be back in your feeds on Thursday with an episode about what it is like to plan your dream British wedding in Germany. Until then, have a great week. Tschüss.